Amen. Um, I thank God that he uh, has kept you this week. Uh, there are millions of people around the world that didn't make it for this week. But God has kept us and he's made us alive. Remember last week I shared with you, we're not up every morning because the alarm wakes us up, but it is because of the mercy and the grace of God. So I am grateful that he's kept all of us and we're here. It's glad to I'm glad to see all of you. I, I love preaching to people now and not to a screen. Um, so, so I pray that God will bless you uh, in the word today. My message is titled today, For Such a Time as This. If you're taking notes, For Such a Time as This. I believe it's a prophetic word that I'm speaking upon our generation. I believe that you came in this room, not by accident, but by the divine purpose and the will of God. Um, I, I, I was just saying to the team this morning, when I went to Hillsong, um, when I encountered Jesus the year that I went, 2007, I didn't go for the conference. I didn't go to meet Jesus. I didn't go to worship, but he had other plans. So I pray that, you know, this is a time that the Lord speaks to your heart for such a time as this. So I'm going to read for you the scripture. We're going to pray and we're going to start. This is the, um, the, the main verses, five verses that I'll be focusing on this passage for the rest of this sermon. This is what the Bible says. We're going to the book of Esther, chapter 4. Uh, verse 12 to 17. Let's go. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Verse 17. So Mordecai went away and carried, all, sorry, carried out all of Esther's instructions. Gracious God, we pray that you would speak to us today. Lord, we acknowledge that you are always speaking, but give us an ear to hear. Give us a heart to respond. Spirit of God, I entrust myself to you wholly. Use me today to speak to your children and to speak a message for this generation. I thank you that you are going to do marvelous things today. We believe that. We expect that. Have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My message is for such a time as this. You know, the book of Esther is one of the most fascinating books that you can come across. Uh, just to give you a bit of a background, the Israelites were captured by the Babylonians, uh, by the Babylonian Empire as a result of God's judgment uh, upon their unfaithfulness. Um, the Babylonians captured them, and in less than a hundred years, another empire rises up, which was the Persians. The Persian Empire was mighty, they were strong, 
they defeated the Babylonians and they dominated the world. And God already put forth a prophecy that 70 years they'll be held in captivity by the Babylonians, which is the Israelites. But after 70 years, the release of the Jewish people will begin. And that's what happened. The story of this book is set during the Persian Empire. In between the first return of the Jews, when the Persian Empire first took over, led by Zerubbabel, and the second led by Ezra, and the third was Nehemiah later on after this uh, story of Esther. This book tells the story of a girl who became queen to then be used by God to save an entire, the entire Jewish people. When you read this true story, I want to remind you of that. It's not a, um, a narrative of a fictional uh, uh, story. This is a true story, a true event that happened. Um, if you would go and search the Babylonian, the Persian Empire, um, in the National Geographic or any uh, historical, uh, historical uh, research, you will know that every account of the Bible corresponds with history. So these are documented, there's archaeological uh, findings um, that, that have been found that speak about this particular uh, people in the Persian Empire. When you read this story, it's like watching a good thriller movie with twists and turns. Every page of the book of Esther is like, what is going to happen next? And we see something profound in this story. We will explore Esther's story, and in her story, we find ours. So the first point that I want to make is in any good movie, in any good story, uh, there's a lot happening behind the scene. Uh, in any movie, there is a lot happening, especially in a movie that uses a lot of stunts or special effects. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, movies that have uh, behind the scene and they show you what is actually happening, uh, you know, in the background to make that scene possible. Uh, it's fascinating things. I mean, behind a green screen, you've got robotic things, you've got all of these things taking part in making one particular action happen in that movie. What you are watching on a big screen with your popcorn and your drink <laughs> looks a lot different to the actual set that things the, the movie was being recorded in. What takes two hours to watch often took months and if not years to put together. When we come to read the Bible, we get a two-hour version of a lifetime event of different circumstances. One of the striking things that I want to begin with uh, that the, the Bible commentators highlight about this book of Esther is that God is not mentioned anywhere in the book. Not one time that the name God or, or any of his other names is, is mentioned in the Bible. But when you read the story of Esther, we see the working of the creator God behind the scene. Not behind the scene that I was talking about in movies, but behind the scene. Behind the scene, behind the physical scene world, there is a work of God. If you can go to the next slide, um, I'll, I'll quickly show you that. This is so evident in this book. As we do not see the director of a film in the film, we do not see the director of this story in the story, but he is the one that is putting it all together. I want to encourage you this afternoon that God is always working behind the scene, behind the physical, natural world. There is a God who is at work. 
Though we cannot see him physically, he is working divinely. He is the director of your life. On every page of the Bible, we read the masterpiece work of God in people's lives. There is a lot going on behind the scene that we do not know about. Jacob receives word that his beloved son Joseph has died. And the Bible says that when he received this word from his very sons that were lying about the situation, Jacob can only take the words of his sons. And the Bible says that he mourned uh, bitterly. He was grieved that he lost hope in the dream that he saw in his one of his favorite sons. Little did he know that God was working in the background behind the scene. That behind the scene is a loving God who works all things together for good of those who love him. Ruth's husband passed away along with her brother-in-law and her father-in-law. Her world came crumbling down in a single moment. And little does she know that in the midst of all of this, that God was putting things together behind the scene. Little does she know that God is preparing a husband for her. Little does she know that the lineage that she's about to give birth to is one that will, give, uh, that will make way for King David and ultimately Jesus Christ. In life's events and in life's stories and in our story, this is the first point that I want you to know and believe and understand is that God is working behind the scene. The director of this world is working behind the scene. We see a little of what is actually going on, and that is the, what we see in the book of Esther. We see God all over it, even though he's anonymous. We see God doing all sorts of things and connecting dots and, and making things happen, even though his name is not mentioned. There's a song, I believe, that says, even when I don't see, even when I don't see it that you're working, even when I don't feel it, you're working. You always are working, God, even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it. Because we don't walk by our faith, uh, by our feelings. We don't walk by what we see, but we walk by what we believe. There is a director behind the scene. The second point that I want to make is I, wanna, I want us to understand today the plot of this story of the book of Esther. The plot. The main characters are as follows. We have Esther in this story, we have King Xerxes, we have Queen Vashti, we have Mordecai, who's Esther's cousin, and we have Haman, who is the hater and the enemy of the Jews. And, and the king and the queen of Persia, uh, we, we, we find out in the, in the beginning chapters that the king and the queen of Persia, uh, especially King Xerxes, he is very arrogant, he's very proudful. So what he does is he puts on a party, a feast for, do you know how long he does this? For 180 days. 180 days. He wants to show off his splendor, how rich he is. So he puts on this party for six months. And after the six months, he follows it with another seven-day banquet for those living in his area and region. And in, at the end of the seven day, after the six months, the king orders for his wife, uh, Queen Vashti to come and to present herself to the nobles and the people that were joining him in the banquet. And the idea is he wants to show off how pretty and how beautiful that his wife is to everyone at the party. And when she was sent to come to, come, uh, uh, to this particular party, the Bible says that she refused. She refused 
at the order of the king. This enraged the king. And upon the advice of his officials, a decision was made to replace her and find a, a new queen for the king. And, and this is where Esther comes in in this story in chapter 2. In chapter 2 of the book of Esther, we see that a search is made out upon the entire empire. This was from modern day India all the way to Ethiopia. There was a massive, uh, they had a massive region that the Persian empire was leading. And the Bible says that a search was made out to bring from every particular people group the most beautiful virgin girls to come and be the potential candidate to be the queen of Persia. And as they were searching in the city, in the citadel of Susa, there was a Jew named Mordecai whose family was captured during the Babylonian captivity. And living with him was a beautiful young girl named Esther, who was his cousin. You see, Esther's mother and father died when she was very young. And she was an adopted orphan child. And Mordecai, her cousin, took her in and adopted her as his own child. Should be good now. So sorry, guys. I apologize. The batteries have been giving us a bit of a trouble today. Uh, but I'll continue my message. Um, we'll, we'll get right back into it. So we see that Esther, she was an orphaned child taken in by her cousin Mordecai. And this orphaned girl, who is nobody in the natural, is now taken into the king's palace as one of the candidates or one of the potential girls to be the next queen of Persia. So then the rule was this. Every girl that comes and becomes uh, the potential to, to go before the king, before they go before him, they have to undergo 12 months of beauty treatment. 12 months of pampering. I mean, all the girls, I can see your eyes just lighting up. They were getting pampered. I mean, cosmetic uh, and all of these things, perfume, all of these um, things that he lists. I mean, this was the biggest beauty treatment that I've seen. It was for so long. There is, I think if we think about it, they didn't have all of the, the updates that we have in our makeup today. Um, they didn't have all of these additives and all of this. And, and now uh, our generation, especially the woman, I see this through my wife, there's a movement to go back into the organic. I mean, they had everything organic right there. Their eyeshadow was made up out of clay and dust and, and all of these things they put together. If they wanted a green blush, they get the leaves, they, they crush it up, and then they get the color of the leaves. I mean, you talk about organic, let's go back and study the book of Esther and you'll find stuff there. So they did this 12 months of intensive beauty treatment. They were made ready to go before the king and all of these women from across, it's like a beauty pageant, <laughs> you could put it that way. And all of these beautiful women were presented to the king and the Bible says that the king had favored and he was, and he was attracted to queen, sorry, she wasn't queen then, to Esther, more than any other woman that stood before him. And she became the queen of Persia. A Jewish orphaned girl that had no mom and dad, that was taken in graciously by a cousin, is all of a sudden 
the queen of the greatest empire of that time. The next character that I want to introduce into this narrative is Haman. Who is Haman? Haman was one of the officials of the king in his palace. And Haman happened to receive a promotion. And when he received a promotion, he was right next to the king, one of the most important people in the palace. And, and the Bible says that if you read chapter 3, that as Haman was coming out, people would bow down to him, but Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman. This enraged Haman, and when he learned that Mordecai was a Jew, this even made him more angry. You see, Haman was a descendant of the Amalekites, the people who were Israel's enemy for generations past. The Amalekites are the very people that when God said to King Saul, you need to wipe them out, he kept one of them alive. This was the descendant. Haman was one of their descendants. And what Haman did, he used his position and constructed a plan to annihilate the Jewish people completely. He wanted not just to get this Haman, uh, sorry, Mordecai that was not uh, bowing down to him. He wanted to destroy the entire nation of the Jewish people. Haman convinces then the king that the Jewish people are different than any other people in his kingdom. He tells the king that they don't obey his laws and that it's not in the best interest of the king to tolerate them. So he advises the king, my advice to you, king, is to kill this rogue group of people from your kingdom. Wipe them out, king, because they're not in the best interest of your kingdom. They will, they're, they're a nuisance to you, O king. And because Haman was an important person and advisor to the king, the king accepted him. He took off his signet ring and he gave it to Haman. The signet ring was very important. It was the seal of the king. And whatever the king decided upon the signet ring was made into law and cannot be reversed. That is a very important point that I want you to know. Haman was given permission to do whatever he pleased with these particular people. Haman cast a lot then. He cast out a lot to decide when he's going to carry out his plan of wiping out the entire nation. And what he does is he casts a lot. In our modern uh, vernacular language, it's like rolling a dice to see which month he's going to carry this plan out. And he was with his officials. He rolls the dice, so to speak, and he lands on the 12th month of the year. This happened in the first month of the year. So 11 months from when Haman was planning this, the Jewish people were already assigned to be killed off. Haman left the, mass, the massacre of the Jewish people after chance. What he did not know, however, is that the God of the Jews is the director behind this life. What he did not know is what Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33 says. If you can quickly go to that slide for me. Proverbs 16, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. That should should get all of us excited in this room. Even though people rely things to chance and they leave it to chance, this proverb tells us the wisdom behind this proverb is that behind every decision, even of those things that seem like chances or coincidences, is a decision. The decision of it is from the Lord. 
Haman didn't understand this. In the natural, the story is finished. The seal of the king is stamped. And the, the, the fate of the Jewish nation, the covenant people of God, has been decided. And they are to be no more. But we know there is a director behind the scene. My last point, and I'll finish my sermon on this point, is that I want you to know that we are positioned for this. We are positioned for this. What are we positioned for? This story seems over, doesn't it? Haman has cleverly plotted the death of the Jews. The king has given his signet ring, which means the decision cannot be reversed. And it's like the enemy, Satan, is whispering to the Jewish people, God's covenant people, I've got you now. Where are you going to go now? Because I've already settled things. Isn't that what happened with Jesus? His, his fate has been decided by, by the kings of that time. He's already entered into Judas. He's betrayed him. He's like, I've got you now, Jesus. What are you going to do now? Your life is going to be finished. But Satan has no idea of the workings of God behind the scene. That God is maneuvering and strategically is, is, is orchestrating the events of this earth to carry out his will and plan on the earth. The story is in the director's hands. One thing we know is that in the natural, when a, when a director uh, is making a movie, what he does, uh, one of the initial steps is that they search for the right person to play the part that they want to tell the story that they want to tell. They interview actors after actors, and they are looking for the perfect person to be positioned in this particular film. They go through a process to select for many, many months. And Mordecai, we learn, Mordecai learns of Haman's plan and he tells Esther this thing. You see, until this moment, Esther's identity to be a Jewish woman was hidden. He told her, do not say a word, do not say anything of your nationality. So Haman's plan, sorry, Mordecai, when he learns of Haman's plan, he now goes strategically to Esther and he says, look, Esther, you are now positioned to do something about this particular thing. You are positioned to do something. You now need to rise up and stand up because you are positioned for such a time as this. Mordecai tells this message to Esther. When Esther first hears of her cousin's plea to go into the king's presence and do something, her first reaction is she freaks out. Because she knows the laws of the land. She knows the law that anyone who goes into the king's presence without being called will be put to death. The only exception is if the king extends his uh, signet ring, sorry, his scepter, his golden scepter, to, sa to save or to spare the person. And she said to Mordecai, Mordecai, what you're telling me is very hard. The king hasn't called me for 30 days. I haven't seen him for 30 days. And if I go before him, I am going to die, Mordecai. I am going to, to be put to death. And this is where the scripture of what we began this message with, I'm going to revisit it. 
Let's go to Esther chapter 4, verse 12 to 17. And this is my main point. I want you to pay attention as we finish up the sermon today. This is what happened. This was the response. This was the response of Mordecai to her. When she said, this is very hard. I can't do this. The Bible says, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Sorry, verse, go back to the previous one. In verse four, 12, yeah. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, that you alone of all the Jews will, ex- will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. <laughs> when Mordecai heard her response, he sent her the following statements. And this is what I want to finish off the remaining of my sermon. He said to her, firstly, God has positioned you for such a time as this. Esther, I want you to understand something. You were orphaned. You didn't have a future for your life. You didn't plan on getting to where you are. God was working in the background and he had his favor upon you. And now you're in the king's palace. And now I want you to understand one thing, that God has put you in the place that you are for such a time as this. In other words, he tells her, you are positioned for this. You are the director's choice to play this role. God is doing something upon this earth and he wants to do it through you. That's what he's saying to this young cousin of his. God has woven together a counter strategy against our enemies, our enemies plot and plan and you are part of that plan. This is so important for us to understand today. That for the challenge that existed in her time, she was positioned to do something. This is the same for every generation that has existed. You know, there's always evil in the world because we live in a fallen world filled with sinful people. And in every generation, there are challenges that are unique to that generation. And we are the generation that is positioned for such a time as this. We are the generation that is positioned for such a time as this. Not because we are anything special than any other people group or any other generation. But simply because you are breathing, you have been assigned by the Lord, by the director of this world to play a part for such a time as this. God ordained for you and I to be living for such a time as this. So you have a role to play in this generation. That's what we learn from the story of Esther. He's saying, young woman, God has prepared you. God has ordained you to come into this world for such a time as this. He positioned you in the place that you are for such a time as this. And this is your moment to say yes to what the Lord wants to do upon the earth. When Goliath was breathing out murderous threats, David was positioned by God for that particular problem. When Pharaoh was threatening the Israelites and harshly, he was treating them harshly and working them, uh, uh, very enslaving them, Moses was getting positioned 
floating upon a river. When Nebuchadnezzar was enforcing the worship of an image, Daniel and his friends were getting positioned by God for that particular generation. And here we see Haman, he was planning to wipe out the Jewish nation, but God is positioning an orphaned little girl who doesn't have a mom and dad, who doesn't have anything to be proudful about, but was simply chosen by God to live in such a time as that, to be positioned in such a moment to do something that God was calling her to do. My message for us today is that the director has positioned you for such a time as this to face the giants of our time. We don't have time to look in the past. We don't have time to look in the future. But God is calling us and he's saying, my children, I have determined that I am the director. I am the one that caused you to live into existence for such a time as this. And the giants that are in our generation, the things that make us fear, the things that keep us up at night, are waiting for you and I to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Send me, use me. None of those that God used were any special, but they had the courage to trust what God has said. All that were used by God had many excuses not to be used by him. God, I don't know how to speak. God, I am too weak. God, I am too small. God, I have this and I have this. They had, every single one of them had excuses. Esther could have said, God, I don't have any parents. I don't have any, I'm, I'm, I'm this and I'm that. But I want us to know today that God has positioned us in this generation for such a time as this. This gives me great hope. Because when I look at my generation, when I look at the challenges in my generation, I can see that God is also simultaneously raising up the answer. He's raising up the solution. He has positioned you in your workplace for such a time as this. You are positioned in the family that you are for such a time as this. I want... I want us to start changing our language. Instead of saying, God, why this? Why am I in this place? Let's start to believe and say, God, I thank you that you positioned me in my job for such a time as this. God, I thank you that you put me in this family. You don't make accidents, Lord. You don't have any accidents, but you ordained for me to be in this family. No matter what kind of family makeup that we have, God has ordained for you to be part of that family because he wants to strategically use you. And if you say, yo, yo, I've got a dysfunctional family. Yo, yo, I, I, I have messed up story in my life. You can pick up this book and read a lot of people that came out of dysfunctional families. But that didn't stop the plan of God, the work of God. But the second thing that he said to her that I want to highlight, he said this, he warned her. Maybe perhaps God is raising you up for such a time as this. But if you remain silent at this time, relief will come from another place. What Mordecai was saying to her is that God will deliver the people. What kind of faith is that? (laughs) I want you to know, Esther, that God is faithful and we're not. Esther, I want you to know that God is going to reserve his people, not because his people are special, but because there's a covenant attached with his people. 
And no matter what kind of strategy and, and, and plan that the enemy will bring up, I want you to know, Esther, that God is not too big, is not too small to deliver us. I want you to know that God is going to bring a solution from another place. So we see the faith of this man in the faithfulness of God. And secondly, we see that God works through willing vessels. He's saying, but if you refuse, if you remain silent when you're supposed to speak up, if you are not using the position that God has given you to do the work that he wants you to do, I want you to know that God works through willing vessels and you're gonna miss out on the story that God wanted to write for you. There's a role that every single one of you play upon this generation and you're one answer away from having a miserable ending or, from, or having a wonderful testimony. You know what he said to her? If you refuse, God will raise someone else and you will perish. You will die and you will, your family will be in shame. Think about this. He's saying you will die. Your, your, your end of your story will be finished, but God's story will not be finished. Young person, I don't know who you are. Old person, I don't know who you are. But I'm telling you, God has positioned you in this generation for such a time as this. Do not miss out on what God wants to do through you. I love her answer after she heard the challenge of her cousin. Her attitude changed. She put her hand up. That's all she did. Esther, all she did, she said, I put my hand up. And she said, if I perish, then I perish. I'm going to go for it. I want you to hear me, people who are in a land that is not our own. Why did God bring us here for such a time as this? He's positioned us in a nation that is fruitful in every direction, not so we can waste it away, not so we can waste it away, but so we can make the most of the position that we're in to make an impact in the world. There are dreams and visions that God wants to write, stories that God wants to write. All he wants are willing vessels that says, yes, Lord. As I was, this morning the Lord gave me this. This will bless you. In essence, what she's saying is this. I would rather die doing God's will than live doing my will. The determination that she came, the, 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 the decision that she came to was she said, I would rather go and do the will of God and perish if I perish than live my life my way and how I want to do it. You see, his will is perfect and true. Mine is flawed and false. And I pray today that as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, that our heart says, God, not my will for my life, not my plan, not my agenda, but let your will be done. No matter how terrifying the, the circumstance is, no matter how, how terrifying the, the challenges is in my generation, I want to put my hand up and say, God, I'm going to go after your will. And if I perish, I perish. I'd rather die doing your will than live doing mine. As I finish up this message, I want to remind you of what God has been speaking to us today. 
that in this story of Esther, we see our story. I want to remind you that God is always working in behind the scene. That God is always working behind the scene. In every generation, God is working. I know there's some scientists that are breathing out murderous threats and saying God is dead, but God is raising up a generation that says, no, he's not dead, he's alive. I know there is a lot of challenges in our generation. I know there's a lot of things that we might say, how is this next generation going to live? But the Lord rebuked me and said, my son, you have not remembered what I have done in previous generations. The Bible says that there was a time when the word of God was rare. That there was a time in the time of Noah, the Bible says that every inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time. That there was none that were righteous, none that loved the Lord, none that seeked him. But the Bible says that God found a man named Noah. And Noah was a man that didn't bow down to the gods of this world. But Noah was a man who said, God, I will do your will. Noah was a man that said, God, I put my hand up. God, I know I'm weak, but I, I want to do your will. And Noah was raised for such a time as this. I couldn't do what Noah did because his timing, his story, his assignment is not my assignment. Stop comparing yourself to the person next to you and begin to pray and ask God, God, what is my my work on this earth? What is my assignment for such a time as this? Let's take our eyes of our selfish wills. Let's take our eyes of my will of building this and building that and say, God, what is your will for my life? I want to remind you in conclusion that no matter what the plot in our generation looks like, we learned of the plot in the story of Esther. It was difficult. In the the natural, the decision has been made. But every decision is really determined by the Lord. And even though in the natural it was finished, God was working behind the scene. And God works through willing vessels. Earthly willing vessels. God works through Nehemiahs. Who see and say, God, I put my hand up. Through Isaiah's. Isaiah was a man that said, God, I put my hand up. He said, send me. I will go for you. I will speak for you. There is no one that is favorite by God in this room, including myself. God sees all of us the same. You're one decision away. You're one decision away this morning, this afternoon. One decision away from saying, God, I don't want to live for me from this day on. I want to live for you. I don't want my story to be one of death. I want it to be one of life. God has a plan. And he's positioning our generation for such a time as this. We are the generation positioned for this time. Not because we're special, but because we're breathing. We are the generation designed by God for this hour. So let's change our language. Come on. Let's change what we see. Let's change. Remember the beginning of 2020 vision? We talked about what are the things, challenges that we see around us and we put them up across the wall and we said we're going to have a different attitude, we're going to have a different spirit, not like the 10 leaders, but like Joshua and Caleb who said we can do this, we can go after what God has said. Despite what the giants are, despite how we look like, we are going to go for this and that was the attitude that she eventually had. I declare upon our generation this prophetic message 
that we will not be afraid of our giant, but we will trust in the plan of God. As you all rise to your feet, we're going to pray now. We're going to get into a moment of putting into action what we've heard today. It's just you and him right now. <laughs> like Mordecai presented the option to Esther, God is presenting his option to you. God is not going to force you. Yes, God works even through unwilling vessels to carry out his plan. But what God wants to do in your life is to work through a willing vessel. God wants to position you. Come on. God wants to position you in your generation. God wants to align, to bring you into alignment with what he wants to do upon the earth. If we are the last generation, then he wants to position you to bring about the fire of God upon this nation. If we are that last remnant generation that is remain before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the midst of wickedness, in a generation that would hate God, that will push God out of schools, out of governments, God is raising up a voice. God is raising up a generation that that are like Esther, that are going to be determined to say, if I perish, then I will perish doing the will of God. But I'm going to go for it. No more excuses. No more, no more things that are holding me back. I'm going to go for this, God. You are created by God for such a time as this. This was the thing that God whispered in my spirit. He said, tell my children that I have put you on this earth, not because your mom and, and dad had a will to have a baby. No, because I had a will and a determination to bring you upon this land. God is saying, my child, arise. Arise and shine. Let's not live a mediocre life. Let's not live a life that is content in just the minimal. But let's say, God, I want to do what you have called me to do. Some of you wants to send into other nations. Some of you wants to send into our suburbs. Some of you wants to send into the schools. Some of you wants to send into families. There is visions that God is birthing right now. Right now, God is birthing visions, dreams in your heart. And God is saying, my child... No matter what gender you are, no matter what age you are, no matter what background you are, God is saying, my child, arise and shine. Arise and shine. The director is speaking. The director of this life has chosen you to play this part in the body of Christ. The director has played, has, has chosen you, has brought you in this generation. The year that you were born was ordained by God in heaven. The year you came forth onto this land was ordained by God in heaven. It was determined. <laughs> when God was seeing in 2020 how postmodernism will be on the rise, how homosexuality will drive out so many, will be so rampant upon the nations, how the family, the nuclear family will be attacked how there'll be movements that curse God, movements that go against the agenda of God. When God was foreseeing that at creation, he was foreseeing your name. He was foreseeing your name. Come on, put your name on that. He's foreseeing you and he's saying, I'm raising my child to be the solution in that generation. I'm raising them for such a time as this. If you are willing, God will use you. If you're not willing, that's up to you. But I give you the answer that Mordecai gave to his cousin. God will still do his work, but he'll do it through another that is willing. And your story then will be removed from God's hand and you'll begin to write your own course. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you're speaking. We thank you for, for the things that you're saying in our hearts. I just pray for this generation. I speak life upon this generation. That we would rise and shine. That we will not be afraid. Hallelujah. That we will not be afraid of the challenges of our, our generation. That we will not be looking back or looking forward, but we'll be focused on today. And that we will say, Lord, I put my hand up. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Use me. If I perish, then I perish. But I pray, Lord Jesus, that you raise up such a faithful, faith-filled person in this room, Lord. Raise them up, I pray. Raise me up, I pray, in the name of Jesus, that we will not back down, but we'll march forward, God, knowing that you are able, that you are able to tame the loud voices of our generation, that you are able to subdue the giant, the Goliath of our generation, that you are able, God, through unable vessels, you are able, God, through weak vessels, you are able, God, so that you receive the honor and you receive the glory. You are able, God. I don't know who you are, but you didn't come in this room by accident. God is speaking to you today. Rise up, my child. Rise up, my child. I have positioned you in this place, in this time, for such a time as this. Get the worship team come. We'll finish off with worship. Let's thank him. Let's thank him. Let's thank him for what he's doing in our hearts. And as we worship, I want you, I want you to just speak to him. Speak to him and say, Lord, I am ready for what you want to do through me. I am ready, Lord. I don't want to make any more excuses. I am ready. Haman may be plotting a lot of things in my generation. He might be plotting to, to kill off the generations, to kill off so many things. But God, raise me up.